0: The views, comments, stories, and opinions shared within this podcast are my own or those of my guests, and in no way represent the views of the company or companies that I or we work for. All stories, events, and tales shared within this episode may or may not have happened in the manner in which they are told. They may or may not have even happened at all. The details have been changed to protect the innocent and the guilty alike. This is Squawk Ident. You're listening to Squawk Ident, an aviation podcast dedicated to the journey and the challenges surrounding the life and career of Aviator Tony, an airline pilot currently flying for a legacy airline with close to 20 years on the flight line. This is episode 15 of Squawk Ident, recorded on the 19th of December 2019, from the Aviator Studios somewhere in Southern California. On this episode of Squawk Ident, Aviator Tony is joined in studio with a guest that we first introduced in episode 8, where we highlighted the journey of a young pilot who has had his share of challenges within his career in aviation thus far. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, Captain Roger will be joining us today to discuss what can go wrong on the line. It's not always textbook. From FADEC failures to abnormalities, BFRs, CFIs, pilot errors, and more. All on this episode of Squawk Ident. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Right after a brief word from our sponsors. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. Well, here we are. Episode 15 is in the books. I can't believe we've been on this journey together now for about three months. This has been an amazing feat to produce the show and every week sit down and talk to all of you about the journey that this aviator has gone through. Well, this past uh, week has been quite an adventure. We got back from our trip from Albuquerque where we sat down with family and I had the distinct opportunity to sit down with my stepfather-in-law who is an absolute amazing 83-year-young Navy veteran. And that was in episode 14. His journey has been just a very interesting and very honorable uh, thing to talk about. And this week, after settling back into the groove, back at home, and dealing with all the holiday hubbub, I actually had an in-studio guest, a very dear friend. You may recognize him from episode eight. Mr. Captain Roger came in studio and sat down with me, and we got to talk a little bit about emergencies, procedures, the differences between uh, the more corporate world and the airline world, and even in the general aviation world, uh, the things that we had to deal with uh, CFIs. We spoke a little bit about procedures, policies, and even pilot errors. So please sit back, relax, enjoy the audio from our session together here at the Aviator Studios. We are very fortunate to have in studio a former guest of the show, Captain Roger. Welcome, Roger. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me back again. Absolutely. And it is absolutely a, a pleasure to have you here in studio. And we'd like to talk a little bit today about things that happen on the line and a little bit of our adventures and our journey thus far. We've had a relatively positive uh feedback from the show that we did together was it episode i think eight or nine i was like gonna that. say
1: it was eight i thought yeah but... i
0: think eight um and you had you know really some some pretty amazing things we were talking about earlier today happened to you with uh, a bird strike and uh, that happened at ten thousand feet over solo was a pretty dramatic experience was it not
1: that was uh, uh hopefully about as dramatic as it can get um I've been fairly fortunate myself, actually, to not have had a, a number of incidents. However, I I've, I kind of feel like I got the big one out of the way, and maybe that that counteracts the lack of little
0: things. Yeah, you've reached your quota. I, I
1: hope I've reached my quota. <laughs> you know, at the same time, it's like, you know, well, you know, statistics would say that that happens once, it won't happen again. But at the same time, I know it can happen.
0: And there are those that have been hit by lightning or struck by lightning multiple times. Multiple times. times. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, I, I hope and I pray that, uh, you know, that is the most dramatic uh, and dangerous thing that happens to you in your career. Go start finding a piece to, piece of wood to knock on. That's it. So, you know, a little bit about this show. Uh, episode 15, we're going to talk a little bit about what can go wrong. Uh, both with general aviation and airline experiences, and how it's not always textbook in the recovery of those procedures. We train, as we mentioned uh, a couple episodes ago, uh, for legacy airlines every nine months. Uh, Previously, I was with a carrier where every six months uh, we went into recurrent training. So we were constantly doing uh, retraining on things like engine fires, engine failures, stalls, procedures that can come up where your actions must be swift, uh, almost a muscle memory action to help prevent a dangerous situation. But most of the time, those are not the type of emergencies we have. We have emergencies or maybe just precautionary events happening where we have to react and think. And sometimes things happen and really they're not the fault of a mechanical issue is just that we missed something. You know? In the
1: end, pilot error is usually going to be the culprit to at least a, a certain degree.
0: And, and sure. those kind of things happen to all of us pilots. With regularity. You know, And any pilot that tells you, well, I've never made a mistake, they're lying. They're lying. Li- <laughs> they're lying to themselves. They're lying to us. They're lying to you. So, I mean, we all make mistakes. We're human. That's why for major operations, there's usually two pilots required, especially on a type-rated aircraft right absolutely so you know I've had some experiences um and I don't know maybe we'll start out with an experience I had where I ended up getting stuck in Scranton Pennsylvania lovely place yes which uh is dubbed the electric city I did not know that yeah Scranton PA and did you know why I have no idea I had no idea either but when you're stuck there for a day or two (laughs) <laughs> Nothing to do. You got some time. You got some time on your hands. And you start visiting, uh, you know, local uh, landmarks and museums and whatnot, and you start reading these plaques on the walls of buildings. And you find out things like Scranton, Pennsylvania was the first city in the continental U.S. to put in an electric rail car, streetcar. Before then, streetcars were pulled by horses, usually two or four horses pulling a streetcar. And this was the transportation, the public transportation of the time. For a nickel or a shilling or whatever the hell or <laughs> <laughs> <Shilling. laughs> whatever the hell it was uh, the monetary uh uh least expensive thing. I don't know, and we still have pennies right now, but two so, bits? Yeah, maybe a bit or two bits, yeah. <laughs> Not a bite, but a bit. <laughs> so, you know, you would ride these uh, streetcars, and of course, in the back of the streetcar was the five or six year old kid that was working with a shovel and a broom and he'd pick up the horse crap because he didn't want horse crap in the middle of the street. Uh and of course this was not really technologically advanced. So the Philadelphia uh I don't know who uh invented it and I don't know who the developer was, but someone decided, "Hey, let's put electrical wires suspended over the these rail lines that are in the middle of the street. Let's make the ground on the rail and let's bring positive energy on top and we'll have an electric streetcar, And that's why Scranton, Pennsylvania is the electric city.
1: And without these incidents, we would have never known that. that
0: I would have never known that. I mean, I guess I could do homework, but you know, <laughs> so we're talking about why I got stuck there and this happened. Wow. It's gotta be not over a decade ago. So I was flying for the regional airline that I, that I used to fly for, and uh, I flew with a really cool guy, a captain who I've flown with quite a bit before, and we were flying out of Chicago, and it was supposed to be, it was a Sunday morning, and it was one of those things where it was, okay, one leg to Scranton, a quick turn, one leg back, and then I was going home, and I was supposed to be going home by like the one o'clock flight, so get me in by, you know, late afternoon, early evening, just in time for dinner, and so we take off. And it was my leg to fly. So once we got lined up on the runway, I remember it was 3-2-left uh, Tango 10, which no longer exists at Chicago. It O'Hare. is no longer there. Yeah, but 3-2-left Tango 10 intersection. And uh, we're clear for takeoff. He says, "Are right, your aircraft, my aircraft. I said thrust. And uh, his his response uh, for that airline was thrust set. And we're accelerating through 80 knots. And he says 80. I said check. And he goes, huh. And I'm like, what? He goes. Never mind. Just keep going. So okay, he notices something that's not cru- crucial, but is an issue. So we keep going. You know, V one rotate. We take off. We're we're climbing out, and as we're climbing up, he says, "You know, I always in that aircraft it was an Embraer one forty five. In that aircraft, uh, after an engine start, the procedure was to reset and alternate the FADEC. The FADEC is the full authority digital engine control correct computer. Okay, so Each engine has an A and a B, so two FADECs, and they talk to each other consistently. So, whichever one is working, it's it's comparing its data with the other. And you have two engines, so you have four FADECs on the air. And we already had a FADEC MEL where uh, one of the aspects of that controller was inoperative. And you could still go because it was talking to the other FADIC continuously. So it would compare notes and it would use the data that it felt was more accurate. And don't quote me on that verbiage, but that's basically from my understanding. So you could still continue. And so we you know, we knew that that was an issue, but we took off in it. and he goes, you know, I always reset and alternate the FADIC so that after both engines have started, the engine instrumentation where the engine warning display would indicate AA or BB. So in the event that a FADEC had an issue, it would automatically alternate from A to B, because you were on the same aircraft at your uh, regional. So
1: I was. We did the same thing. We had A for away and B for back. We would always be on, oh, that's when cool. we went away from the hub, we were on FADEC A, and when we went back to the hub, we were on FADEC B, and they were always agreeing with each other.
0: Oh, that's I wish I would have known that years ago. That's awesome. Uh, so we take off and he says, you know, I don't know if I reset them to be A and A or B and B. He goes, it's just such a, a muscle memory at this point in my career that I've been doing this for so long that, you know, I, I do it automatically, instinctually. I don't know if I did that. And the issue is right now, our aircraft says engine one, FADEC A, engine two, fadic B. And I said, well... If you don't remember if you did that, we don't know if it automatically switched. Which there is no uh, pilot indication that it did that. It just does it automatically, and uh, unless there is a major fault, then you would have been notified through the warning display, the ECAM. So uh, we continued, not thinking anything of it. About forty-five minutes into the flight, we're in cruise, autopilot's on, we're fat, dumb, and happy, and we get to a waypoint, and the airplane does a little bit of a roll because it. Needs to turn direction about twenty degrees, uh, changing course. The autopilot's connected, so it's doing its thing. And all of a sudden, we get a a good yaw. Or it just felt like somebody stepped on the rudder. And uh, the captain says to me, "Did you? Are you messing with the rudder?" I said, "No, my feet are on the floor, man." I was like, "Oh, did you feel that?" I said, "Yeah, I did." So we're looking around, looking at the engine instruments, and we notice that the the N1 fan bug on the right engine was alternating about 10%, 15% just up, down, up, down, up, down. It it didn't stay steady like it was supposed to, like the number one engine. And um, so as we start noticing this, he looked at me and he goes, well, this is not right. I said, I agree. We should probably consult the book, the manual, you know, the the red book at the time. You guys, what did you guys have a red book or what did you guys call it? AOM? We called it the QRH. Oh, you guys had a QRH in the, in the yep. cockpit. Yeah, we, we had, uh, we didn't have a QRH in the cockpit. We it, the a company had um, just your book you had to go to. We you had know? a
1: QRH or a QRC. I honestly don't remember. Different companies were calling them different things, and I think it might have even changed names that we were supposed to pretty much consult for everything that anything and everything that went wrong.
0: Yeah, at Legacy, we use a, a, a QRC, a quick reference card which there are two in the cockpit, one on each side of the pedestal. The captain has one, and the first officer has one. And in the event that something happens, the very first thing instinctually is uh, the pilot flying says, my aircraft, and that's a, that's a new thing for us as well. Uh, and the pilot monitoring just reiterates, okay, someone's flying the plane. The person flying the plane is you know, the person that said, my aircraft. And then the person flying the plane would call for the QRC. Now, a QRH is a quick reference handbook, right? So the handbook. Um, i just keep knocking my microphone here. Uh, the handbook is uh, a little bit more detailed. It has checklists and flows and emergency procedures to follow. Uh, we didn't have that. We had our memory items and we had um, a checklist that was physically in our possession in our kit bags. So we went through the checklist and went through the and we couldn't find anything that said sporadic into you know a bug. You know, that's what we're looking that's what we had. That's what we were thinking. Oh. So we're looking through it. He's going through the index, you know, and one target, bug, anything? Nothing. Couldn't find anything to indicate that's what we had and if what's the checklist, what's the procedure? Because this was new for both of us. And as he's thumbing through about a minute into this, I'm I'm keeping an eye on it. It's just it's basically like an engine running rough. So it's up and down, up and down, up and down. We're we're still putzing along. And just then the number two engine just goes to flight idle by itself. Just phew. and we didn't have auto throttles or auto thrust. We had manual, as I think you had the same. So it was it was in the uh the the cruise, you know, detent or whatever it was back then, I forget. Um and it shouldn't have done that. So yeah, I immediately kicked off the autopilot and said reiterated my aircraft. Uh, and put in the appropriate rudder to maintain coordinated flight. But, of course, it was a pretty big yaw. because It happened suddenly. And just as I'm saying that, now the, we get ding from the flight attendant and say, guys, what's going on up there? What are you guys doing? <laughs> what's going on? It's, it feels like you're flying cricket. <laughs> so, Captain looks, Lee says, I'll call you back. We're, we're dealing with an engine issue. So, he hangs up with them. And, and just as it goes to idle, it sits there for maybe a second or two. And whoop it comes right back up. And now it's in the detent. It's in the, it's in the bug. The bug is consistent and steady. It's not moving around. And we're just like looking at it going, okay, don't, don't touch anything. He says to me, don't just turn on the autopilot and don't touch it. I'm like, okay, I agreed. So turn on the autopilot. And you know, we're both, our hearts are beating because we're like, something's going on. Are we losing an engine here? I mean, it's not a fire. It's not failure. It's not. Any of the thing, we were taught Ford. I don't know what you guys were taught back then. Fire, oil, rotation, or damage.
1: I never heard that.
0: Yeah, so if you, you, you have an engine problem, you, you're taught Ford. Um, And so we're like, well, we don't have any of the FORD. So maybe it's a FADEC problem. You know, Maybe well, something's wrong with the FADEC. But the one that was MEL'd was Engine 1. FADEC A and Engine 1. The Engine 2 didn't have that MEL on that. On either FADEC I believe so it was weird and he says you know what just continue to fly you start looking at airports that we can possibly divert to I'm going to pick up my handset I'm going to call SLC, have them patch us through to maintenance SLC is systems operation control for those of you who never heard that um, and we're going to call MLC which is maintenance operation control so through there we did a kind of like a foam patch in the air and we're telling maintenance what's going on and they said, well, okay, you, you've got a fadic failure issue. That's what's causing this. Look up the checklist, the fadic failure. And I said, oh, okay, now we have a checklist we can refer to. So we did. Um, and it said, you know, to do there, do not reset the faults. Just alternate it and see if it changes. If it doesn't change it, if it stays in the same fadic, it means the other one has failed. And that's exactly what had happened. And they said, okay, well, um, why don't you turn back, come back to Chicago? And at this point, we were already more than halfway through our journey. And I started looking at, you know, distance, fuel, winds, what's the weather in Chicago? Oh, it's snowing. Now, that means we would need an alternate because the weather conditions are less than VFR and requires an alternate. We just don't have the fuel for that. And the captain agreed. So he says, No, we're not gonna do that. We don't have fuel for that. He goes, Well, you want us to put it down somewhere else? We want to divert to to JFK or, you know, something on the East Coast where there's a maintenance hub for our particular airline. And I said, no, you you know, you can continue to Scranton, I guess, but just know it's a Sunday morning and we have no contract maintenance uh, on Sunday morning. You'll have to wait till Monday.
1: So you go to Scranton, you're going to stay there. So
0: you're going to stay there. Exactly. So we looked at each other and well, I said, well, if we can continue safely and it doesn't happen again, let's just continue to Scranton, if it happens again, we're not going to continue, we're going to land at the nearest suitable airport. Uh, and the captain said, Yeah, I that's exactly, I agree 100%. So, we're talking back and forth about it, you know, um, trying to figure out the best, safest solution. And what ended up happening was we continued to Scranton. Now, we were taking precautions on what ifs uh, on the whole way there. Okay, what airport's closest if we have it right happen right now. Where are we going? We're going to Albany. Okay. Or if it happens right now, where are we going? Oh, you know, we're going on white planes, whatever. So we were calculating emergency stops every 10 to 15 minutes, the rest of the flight. And we were also debating if we come down on final. He says, you're you're flying. You're doing a great job. Just continue to fly. We're coming down on final and you bring the thrust levers back and the engine doesn't roll back because the FADEC possibly won't allow it. Then we're just going to have to go through the procedure and shut down that engine. Which, on a descent, shut down an engine. Really, the only issue is in case you have to do a go around, right? So we ended up landing normally. Nothing out of the ordinary it was like flying a normal flight. And as we touch down, uh, we have an inhibition where any ECAM message that is not crucial is inhibited until after landing, and. As soon as that time frame elapsed, I think it was 15 seconds after landing. I don't have the manuals anymore. but um, We get ding. Engine one and two, no dispatch. Meaning all four Fadex have failed. All four Fadex had issues that were redundant issues. And therefore, you're done. So we ended up in Scranton for 32 hours. In Enough
1: change. time to find out how it's the electric city.
0: Yeah. So here we are in Scranton. It's raining. Uh, They put us up in a hotel downtown. It was actually an old railway building. I forget the name of the hotel, but it's a beautiful, beautiful architecture. Over a hundred year old building that they converted to this fancy hotel. So we're there and we're like, okay, now what? We got all day Sunday. What do you want to do? My captain's like, well, I really like trains and they have a really cool train museum here. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, "Uh, okay. He's like, hey man, don't worry about it. It's like six bucks entry to get in. I'll pay for the entry. Let's just go. Just come with me. I'm like, yeah, sure, no problem. I mean, I don't really care about trains, but but I'll go. You know, it's better than sitting in your hotel room watching movies you've seen a hundred times, right? So we ended up going to the train museum, and that's where I learned about the Electric City. So 17 minutes of talking about the Electric City. (laughs) So, you know, these things happen, right? And how we react to them sometimes goes down. Pretty much textbook, um, even if it's not clear cut. And
1: other times, and realistically speaking, I think that you know, a partial part of it might just be my experience. Most of the time, they don't go down textbook. And you, I mean, this particular example was was just one example of that on how you had an abnormality um, on the flight deck, and you look. Your first inclination is to go to the manual. Except, what are you looking? What are you looking for when you go to the manual? well, my, my N1 bug is jumping around. That N1 bug jumping around doesn't show up in any manual exactly. anywhere. And so you're left to kind of um, on your own devices, if you will. And as much as especially I, in my experience, the airline world is much more, um, and, and, and rightfully so, it's much more structured in that way than the environment that I actually fly in now. That's one of the biggest difference differences. Um, how structured everything is and they pretty much tell you it's almost like the airlines try and take pilot making decision away from you in a lot of it times it
0: really is yeah
1: is that we don't want you to think we just want you if you experience this go to the manual and we're going to tell you what to do you again your your example this happened and what we do well we called somebody else to tell us what to do whereas in the corporate world that i fly in uh, we don't have any of that um everything is kind of left to us and I'll be, you know, very, you know, quite frankly in that in those kinds of things. Now we don't, the first thing we don't do is think about checklists. It's more of a fly the airplane. Is everybody safe? Where should we go? What do we do next? And then kind of the checklist almost comes up at the last thing. Um, It's a little bit more simplistic now also, depending on the plane that you're flying. I mean, for instance, like you talked about some memory items, Mm-hmm. you know how many memory items we have in the seven X? no three
0: or engine fire no no that's not and, even a memory item
1: and actually if you want to go down that road if you have an engine failure you know what kind of abnormality that is an abnormality it's not even an emergency procedure yeah now we have three engines uh but that thing will still climb at 2500 feet per minute off the ground you know with, with an engine failure and yeah. so it's not even considered an emergency Ah. Um, but they're very actually benign things. One of one of our memory items is actually because we control everything with a basically a mouse is if the mouse fails, of which the memory item, just as an example, is to simply switch to the other channel, which is flipping one switch right under the mouse, and that's our memory and
0: item. And just for our listeners, uh, what aircraft is this from?
1: This is a Falcon 7X.
0: Falcon 7X, and seats how many people?
1: Well, that kind of depends, depends on the on configuration because okay. we fly it in a corporate... I, I think it's certified up to 19 passengers. Oh, wow. That's pretty But like nobody ever, I mean, no, it's a pretty, it's a 70,000-pound max gross weight a- okay. airplane. Um, but nobody ever has them configured like that. I mean, usually we're flying, yeah. you know, anywhere from two to maybe eight passengers. But Yeah, you got um, like
0: sofas and, and tables and correct. stuff. Correct. We yeah. got sofas and tables. It's very a very luxurious. different
1: environment than and the airlines and like I said that's one example like our checklists and our checklists are also electronic we have something go wrong in the airplane the airplane you know pops up on our on our cast and then it it says well we go to the abnormal which the aircraft already knows because it's in the it's in the cast and then we use a little toggle switch and it tells us what to do. Nice. Um, so that makes everything easier. So you're
0: not fumbling, looking for checklist have, paper. We don't and, deal with no.
1: any paper. Our normal checklists are all electronic. Our emergencies are all electronic. And we don't even need to look for anything because it says right there. Wow. And you might remember all those if if statements within yes. the checklist that are, are the bane of all of our existence yeah. when we go for our check the, rides in the simulator.
0: I think logic or something like that. Yeah. Because
1: you inevitably miss something, we don't have to really deal with that either because it's very straightforward. All electronic. Nice. Yeah, I've
0: been in the cockpit of a 7-8 you know, commuting back and forth as I Same did. Same principles. Very, very similar, yeah. Yes. Yeah, and, and the Airbus, uh, you know, I've got to admit, the the 320 family Airbus has what we call ECAM, and it does have that. However, uh, at Legacy, you always check the QRC and find out if the emergency or annunciation is a quick reference for quick action item or ecam exception item and then you would do ecam actions so if we had something pop up on the ecam or the engine warning display then like your uh, aircraft the falcon uh we have that checklist electronically as well however in this little bubble they don't want us to they don't want us to really diagnose issues they just want us to Always do the same thing every time consistently. That way, whatever happens, you're always doing the same thing. You're not doing something different. So it's always: is it a quick action, meaning I have to do this now before I consult a checklist, or is it an ECAM exception, which on the ground a couple of things can pop up uh, where you're not going to follow the ECAM because it could be an anomaly, Right. And because it's a common anomaly, they don't want you to do those ECAM actions. They want you to do the exception checklist. So you, usually. I think it's like six or seven or, or i think at the most 10 items on each one and if it's not there then the captain determines who's going to fly the airplane so if the captain was flying and he decides well oh, i'm gonna go through these checklists so your aircraft and then the fo would say my aircraft and then the captain would then look at you and you're supposed to say okay e actions and then he would read through or she would read through the e actions and then if they verify with each other and It's It's a very structured structured environment that the
1: airlines that the airlines have, and you follow kind of what you just alluded to is you've got so many different airplanes and so many different crews, but they can virtually come as close as close as possible to making sure that all of you guys are going to do the exact same thing at the exact same time if you have the exact same issue. Obviously, that will never happen completely, but they're coming as close as they possibly can. Whereas us, we have you know we fly two different airplanes. Um, but it's just, there's, there's two pilots, there's me, and then there's the other guy. And then there's, are we flying airplane a, are we flying airplane B? And it's much more of a, I guess I'd use the word practical application to it. Sure. Where, how do we get from point a to point B safely? And the other thing that you were talking about that I think, in my opinion, is the most important thing you're always thinking about, you know, you you never really know what's going to happen, especially in that instance that you had. But if this does happen, what are we going to do right here? This is where we are. This is this is what the plan is. So that if if things do go more, even more sideways, you know exactly what you're going to do. And in the end, that's the most important thing. No matter what airplane you're flying no matter how many engines it has, but knowing what you're going to do if things start to go really sideways, especially when you're talking about losing an engine um, or engines doing funny things because that's when you can just get yourself backed up into a corner and that's where you don't want to end up.
0: Right. And all these, and all these experiences we have, either corporate world or in the airline environment, which is a little bit more of a bubble as we're talking about here, it, we all started in the same place. Every single pilot, started flying a two seater or four seater piston powered general aviation aircraft that's how you learn your first flight or your 100th flight or however long it took or however your path allowed you to to progress in aviation you know we all started in GA and i think issues arise uh, arise a little bit faster a little bit more frequently in the GA world for some reason than they do in an airline world because it's so structured or a corporate world because there's a lot of checks and balances and type readings and, and you, to fly people around for compensation you, you have to jump through a lot of hoops but in the ga world as a private pilot you don't have those hoops to jump through or at least they're not as stringent and so, they're and with the two
1: pilots and and quite frankly you know a turbine powered airplane or a turbine powered engine is much more reliable than the piston-powered airplanes oh, too. Yeah. So now you've got the, the reliability of the engines, you've got you know, the, the second pilot. You know, why is it that they start us in GA want a scarier airplane than than a jet? I don't know what it would be like to go fly a piston-powered airplane anymore. And you work up and it's actually easier in a lot of ways. The thought processes obviously have to happen faster in a jet because things happen at four times the speed. But yeah, in a lot of ways flying GA is in my opinion a lot more difficult than the airline world
0: it is and especially when you're new and you know there have been many debates uh on both forums for aviation and general aviation and instructor forums and another podcast that i've listened to about aviation uh that i try to to listen to and they always have the same kind of argument somebody will call in or write in and say Why is it that my flight instructor in the GA world is some young kid who's fresh out of flight school and not some World War II vet that's been flying airplanes for 100 years? (laughs) You know, I should have the experience because by definition, learning is a change of behavior by result of experience. And how can I get that training from a young person? And I think the best argument for that is that it really doesn't matter too much how old. The instructor is, or how much experience they have, because there are those with little experience that are absolutely phenomenal great teachers, very thorough, very technical, and they always promote good habits, good technique, good behaviors. Whereas you can have someone who's a retired airline, you know, Czech airman, you know, highest uh, instructor level that there might be at an airline flying heavies around for more than 20 years of their life and now they're decided well i'm gonna go flight instruct because i have all this experience but they've also seen a lot and to them it's no big deal so ah, you don't need to know that or the instruction you got might not be
1: well, and the applicability good. of a lot of that stuff is also not going to be is not going to benefit the new pilot to a large degree, I don't think a lot of the things that happen in the airline world or that a Czech airman on a heavy flying, you know, transoceanic routes, a lot of that won't apply to a brand new GA guy or, you know, even again, that turbine to piston, the thought processes are going to be different and the way your, your outs are going to be different. You know, the emergencies that happen on a tran- transoceanic, while well, obviously, as, as you've kind of talked about, you know, flying to Hawaii. I mean, those are big deals, but they're also not applicable to a a brand new GA pilot who's trying to figure out how to solo and just wants to
0: go visit, you know, go go visit grandma for the weekend. You just start talking about that on the flight line so they get impressed. (laughs) And they will be. (laughs) And they will. But, you know, we've all we've all kind of started in this GA world and we've all kind of. We were talking about it at the, uh, at the onset of the show, how, you know, we're humans and we make human errors and pilot errors. And I can remember making quite a few uh, situations where uh, I could have went better. I should have done things a little differently. And and I don't know if you want to share a little bit about that, but I, I can remember uh, a pretty quick story here. We were uh, working together, actually. It was at uh, the Tailwind there in, at Chandler. And... The boss called me in the office one morning and said, "Hey, uh, all the uh, instructors are with students right now. I've got a, a friend. He's a retired sheriff from here in the area, and he he owns an airplane. It's a it's a Mooney. It's in the shop next door, and they just put a uh, a three bladed uh, Hertzl prop on. it. Yeah. so it's coming out of maintenance. They're they're still working on the logbooks, but I've got reassurance reassuring." Uh, Information that it's all completed and the paperwork's finalized. You just need to go over there and take a look at the logbook before you go. It's his personal airplane. He wants his BFR, his biannual flight review. So every two years, as a GA pilot, private pilot, you need to go up with an instructor and and they need to sign you off that you're still doing things right and you're still safe, right? In order to keep your license current. So I said, sure, yeah, no problem. I have no problem doing that. Um, so I walk over and talk to the mechanics and say, hey, yeah. Is the plane ready? And I said, yep, it's parked over there in front of the flight school on the T-hanger there. Just uh, go ahead and take it up. Uh, we test fluid and everything. The books are done. And uh, I'm I'm in the middle of writing the sign-off right now. And I said, okay, is your is your signature and stamp on it? It's all good. He's like, yep, it's all good. I just have some documentation. I got to make photocopies and things like that. So you can wait for it or you can go up. He goes, it's fine. So yeah, we have a very good reputation at that time with uh." with the maintenance facility there. I said, yeah, no problem. I'll, I'll go ahead and take him up. We'll knock this BFR out of the way and do it in his own airplane. So we walk over and, and he's doing his preflight, And And uh, I say, yeah, so how's it looking? All good? He's like, yep, yep. Pre-flight's all done. I'm like, okay, well. So I walk around the airplane one time, just give it a quick glance. And say, oh, it looks good. You know, nice brand new prop and brand new spinner on there. and In this old Mooney, it, it was uh, polished metal, not even painted, just the end numbers. And I thought, man, this is cool. I've, I haven't been in one of these before, you know, at least not one this old. <laughs> so we go up, and we're in the in the south practice area there, in south of Phoenix, under the uh, Bravo. And uh, we're going through the usual maneuvers you would expect for a private pilot uh, biannual flight review: slow flight, uh, stall recovery, uh, steep turns, turns around a point, S turns, all those GA maneuvers, you know. And and I usually would just if they were doing fine within the first few moments of the maneuver, I knew they, they had, it. you know, if they're struggling from the beginning, then I want to see more. You can so, tell pretty quickly. Yeah. I mean, we, we were doing this nonstop two, three times a day. Right. So, so we're up there, he's in the middle uh, of doing a maneuver. And I had brought my hood uh, view limiting device with me. And I said, all right, put this on. Uh, Cause he was an instrument rated pilot. I said, ah, just, you know, show me that you're, slow to this speed and intercept this radial and fly it outbound. And uh, so I had him doing some like slow flight radial interceptions. So he's doing it. And all of a sudden he says, something's wrong. Something's wrong. The engine, the engine's, the engine's not, I have no power. I have full, I have full power. The engine's not power. He's getting nervous. And this guy's retired sheriff. They don't get nervous easily. Right. We hope not. And so I see he's very nervous and he's like, Oh, I got a squawk 7700 and I got an emergency and I, I 121.5. I'm, we're going to declare a mate. I was like, hold on a second there, buddy. <laughs> I said, this guy's like twice my age or three times my age. You know, I was like, I'm like, hold on a second, buddy. Come on. I'm like, let's aviate and navigate, then communicate. Just, aviate, just fly the airplane straight ahead. Pitch what, what speed you're going to pitch to. He's like, oh, okay. So I'm bringing him back into it. So I'm like, okay, we have an engine failure memory items in this aircraft. Do you not? He says, y- y- oh, yeah. Like, what's the first thing? Mixture Full Rich. Okay, go for it. So he puts Full Rich. Still no response. It's just windmilling, windmill. And, you know, we was starting a slow descent, maybe 800 feet a minute straight ahead. Really nice. Best glide. Still had plenty of altitude. And uh, I said, okay, what's the next thing? It's, uh, switch fuel tanks. So the second he reaches down on his side of the cockpit, there was the off left and right, right? So he goes from left to right. And the second he does that, <laughs> here we go. He goes, oh, crap. And I look up and the fuel gauges were actually in front of the the right seat. And the whole fight, I, I mean, I checked them before we left. They were indicating about half a tank each. But from the minute we pushed off the hangar uh, T parking spot, taxing out, doing the mag check, doing the run up, everything, the whole time they were just like wiggling back and forth as the fuel was sloshing around in there with the movement of the aircraft they are very sensitive for whatever reason so now here we are we just ran through this procedure we, we finished the procedure and i look over and the left tank is pegged zero <laughs> <laughs> and i'm like you you did do a pre-flight right he goes well yeah And he goes i just put fuel in this thing like four days ago i'm like you topped it off four days ago he's like yeah I'm like before they put a new prop on it he's like well yeah and i go well didn't you check the tanks on the pre-flight before this flight and and to get the levels and he goes well i looked in there and it was fuel (laughs) i was like like, okay let's okay get the airplane back before we run out of fuel on the other other we've been flying for like 30 minutes you know i'm like okay i knew we more than likely had at least 30 minutes in the other tank too so i think let's let's just head back to the airport shall we and he's like all time he's just sweating he's just sweating he's like oh god i failed this thing i failed this thing you know and i'm like it's not really a pass or fail it's just a you're not going to get signed off today, right? So, you know, he he got nervous, but he immediately, he came back into it, and, and I was, like, quizzing him the whole way back. I was like, I'm not letting up on this guy. I'm like, so what would you do if... He's like, oh, I would do this, and then, yeah, you're right, you know, I got, I got nervous. I'm like, okay, I said, but, you know, you might have passengers in here. You can't get nervous with or without passengers. You have to always have that mentality of, okay, something's wrong, let's fix it, and Logically, systematically, and he totally agreed. And and I knew this guy, and the, my my boss had vouched that he'd been flying for many, many years. And and there's no way this guy was passing all those BFRs all those years. And now you know he's he's gonna. So I looked at him and I said, "Look, we're not going to do touch and goes." Normally, I would you know show me a couple of landings, just show me a good landing. And here's what's the situation: you have a seven knot crosswind from the left. I want you to put the left main gear down on the beginning of the aiming point markers on the left side. I want the right main landing gear to touch down at the end of the paint prior to where there's no paint. And then I don't want the nose to touch down. I want you to hold it off until the first stripe past the aiming point markers. So I'm giving him like a really impossible feat to to accomplish, which is this perfect landing with this perfect crosswind in a low-wing uh, Mooney. And wouldn't you know it? He made this perfect approach. Landed exactly the way I requested. Touchdown left gate left main on the beginning of the paint, right main on the end of the paint. And I was like, damn, that's, that's pretty good. I'm like, well let's go back to the let's go tie it down. So we'll go tie it down and I grab my kit bag and I go, like, all right, see you inside. And I just walk off and let him tie down the airplane and my boss goes, how did, it, how did it go? And I said, well, I think I'm going to go ahead and pass him because we had a little issue, but he handled everything perfectly up to that point. He, and he stumbled, but I, I'm satisfied that if it happened again, he's not going to make the same mistake. And, and he could fly that plane. He's he's good. His, his pre-flight stuff, we'll talk about it. It's a debrief. <laughs> it's a debrief. So uh, he's like, okay, right, but I'm going to make him sweat. And He goes, cool. <laughs> so he comes in the office and... And uh, my boss goes, how'd you do? And he goes, I don't know. It just depends on this youngster if he's going to pass me. I don't think he's going to pass me. <laughs> I mean, I'm like, well, how did you think you did? And he's like, well, I, I got a little nervous, but I, I won't make that same mistake. And I'm like, yeah, I agree. I said, you, you can fly your plane. I said, just review, practice. And so I signed him
1: up." <laughs> the two takeaways from that story. First of all, Tony, what a slave driver instructor he is. So I was. He, I want you to put this hood on and then I want you to intercept this radial while doing slow flight all simultaneously. Well, and and then there's the, you know, there is the age old question about, you know, should he have passed or should he not of which I have no problem with him passing. You know, I got nervous, but that's kind. in the end. You know, you had an unforeseen circumstance, but isn't that all, but isn't that what we're training for? is the unforeseen yeah. circumstance. And then to kind of, unfortunately, and I think this happens a lot. I, this is not him. This is not a knock on him at all. Um, it kind of separates people for, from, you know, when those things do happen. And if he had been by himself, because it, all it took was just you on that airplane. If he had taken that airplane up and it didn't happen to be time for his BFR.
0: Yeah. It begs the question. What, what would have happened he probably would have ended up in one of those uh rice fields or whatever soybean fields that are south there south of the he would have ended up in the in the the field i mean he did everything correctly if the engine had failed and he couldn't get it back he was doing everything right but he had not he jumped from point a to point like to point d yeah uh, like that and it wasn't until I said, wait a minute, and then he started answering, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, and he did everything. So, you know, and it that was probably out of all my sign-offs that I've ever had as a flight instructor, all those years ago, almost 20 years ago. Um, that was the one where I could have gone either way. The rest of them were clear-cut, but that one I could have gone either way, and, yeah, I, I still stand behind it. I think, you know, he, in the end, who knows if he's still flying or even around anymore, sure. but, you know. I I felt confident that if anything were to happen after I signed him off, that the FA would come to the instructor because they will go, well, you signed him off, you know, tell All me right. about it. You know, I, that's your responsibility. I was supposed to hang on to those sign-offs for how many years? Do you remember? I, was, I don't know. It was three or four, five or something. Three or four years, five years. Yeah. So, and I did, you know, and then. Cause you
1: know. I actually had that happen at, at Tailwind. I don't know if you ever knew that. No, I did. But, oh, I did. It, it was a BFR. Um, for a guy whose name happened to also be Roger. Um, it went, it went fine. Nothing. I, I don't even remember the BFR cause there was nothing, um, remarkable, but remarkable about it. And it was several, it was, it It probably was six months later. And unfortunately it came to find out that the FAA came because they had found my name in his logbook for this VFR, and he had died in a plane crash. Really? Yep. He was going up. He had flying from he was flying from the Phoenix area and was going up to somewhere in Utah and someone or somewhere over um Zion National Park, apparently. Hmm. He was flying at night and it looks like he got disoriented in BFR conditions with the horizon line or something at nighttime and 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 crashed. Was it sea Fit? Or- it was a yep, it was a C Fit event. And as part of that, you know, you know, going to what you're talking about, you know, our names do show up in their logbooks, and there is that question. Like I say, I have no, I don't even remember the BFR, but my name was in his logbook. Yeah, the FAA did come knocking, and you know, it, your example again is like you had no other, you had no other issues signing anybody off, but did how many of those other people had an unforeseen right, engine many, failure? Yeah, uh, almost, and and who's to say? what any of those other people would do. And it's like I said, it's an, it's just an interesting question more than, you know, is, is there anything to take away and learn from it? No, I don't think so. It's just that interesting question. And as pilots, you know, we we can talk about it as much as we want. But, you know, when things go wrong, what well, we know, yeah, I can tell you in the BFR, you do an hour of at least that hour of ground. Well, you know, what's, what are the memory items for an engine failure? Well, A, B, mixture, prop, throttle, right? Fuel in your fuel levers. But now it's actually happened for real, and it's very easy for that stuff and that example yeah. to
0: kind of— and you really don't know. I mean, you could be the most experienced pilot uh, available. And absolutely. Until that particular event happens to you— You have no so idea how you will respond. Absolutely. Human reaction. And, you know, that that's a controversy that doesn't just stop with GA or even, uh, you know, corporate cargo or airlines. It goes- Any- thing you do. Not just aviation. You have no idea. You could be a police officer. You've trained at the academy. You're an expert at firearms. And until someone is pointing a gun at your head, you have no idea how you're going to react. So, you know, that is a very true statement. Absolutely. So that's why we train and train and train and train. And, And so you're constantly learning. You're constantly developing and adapting and learning your techniques. Do you have any other experiences in GA that you you can think of? Well, or- on a,
1: on a lighter note, since you kind of fessed up to a, I mean, yours was more your uh, your student. I'll blame this on my student too, and I'll let I'll let the <laughs> listeners. I'm going let the listeners decide where they want to place blame for this always one. Goes, this is
0: kind of entertaining. The blame always goes downhill, by the way, ladies and gentlemen.
1: <laughs> so I was well, g- kind of going back to my earlier point. Maybe this story enhanced this viewpoint about it. How, how much scarier piston-powered airplanes are than and I So I had, I had flown at the airlines and I had gone back and I was teaching um, and I was flying primarily King Airs and teaching King Airs, which is a turbine-powered airplane. It's a turboprop for those of you who don't, who, who don't know a lot about um, the turboprop world. Um, and it just so happened that there was a friend of a friend who was going to get back into flying, and she, she needed somebody to basically do some basic instruction. She was multi-engine instrument rated, and I mean to get to a multi-engine instrument rating, there's I mean you you have to put the time in to a certain degree. That's
0: a, a minimum of three check rights, three ratings, three licenses.
1: Correct, your private instrument and your multi. And I I kind of made some assumptions that it had gone along with that, and she was very upfront that she she wanted to get back into flying. She hadn't done a lot of flying, and. The more important part of that was that while she had had um, received those ratings she was she had done the fast track program for all three of them and you know, what's a what's a fast track a, right? a fast track is is sometimes we call them pilot mills where you show up and they teach you what you need to do to pass the check ride and for lack of better terms that's it um you know, I think you can do a, a multi, what can you do a multi-engine fast track program in three or four days now? Oh, I don't know. Is it that, I for I me, think,
0: I, I went to, well, did you, did you go to the same flight school I did? In Phoenix, did. North Deer Valley?
1: No, I did uh, the ATP so you did program. you yeah,
0: which is a far better uh, program, I think. And I still, to this day, recommend ATP. I, and it no, it I was a, a pretty
1: good program. I can kind of, actually, for, for me as a student, ATP was great. Oh, ah, good. Um, from an, I did not instruct there on purpose, but we can get into that at at a certain time or a later time. <laughs> um, but I think you can do a multi-engine fast track in in a few days. Now the instrument in the private, they'll take you a little yeah, bit longer, but they're still the basis hours. is that they're going to 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 get you in and get you out and teach you exactly what you, to know to pass the check ride. But then that's it. Um, so she had got these ratings, but actually did not know a whole lot about how to fly. Um, and then, you know, combine that with the, with the aspect that she hadn't flown in, in quite a while. Ah. And we we're basically teaching a, a new student, um, which was fine. Um, I went up and I, I, I flew the airplane cause I'd you know, technically to get current in a single engine airplane. I, um, I had to go fly a single engine airplane. I took somebody else, somebody up who was current. Um, I tried to do this, you know, fairly smart because I was now flying this piston powered airplane and I, and I get into the airplane, which is, it, it was a Piper Arrow retractable, a 20, a PA-28R. And there's not a lot of stuff on the flight deck, you would think, except when you haven't flown one in a while and you kind of look around and, well, there's a lot of things that, well, how, what do you mean there's only one attitude indicator? Because we're so used to having a bigger airplane where each yeah. where each pilot has their has their individual controls. But OK, I kind of figured this out and we went up and flew around and I did all the maneuvers to get, you know, fairly comfortable. So you got current in here. So I got current. Yeah. And so I I felt comfortable enough that, you know, if anything happened, I could fly the airplane. And I had no doubt about that. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to go up with myself, let alone with somebody else if I'm not to that point. Uh, but anyway, so the the time came, we got her set up, we found a time that worked for us, and we showed up at the airport, we get we pre-flight the airplane, we get into the airplane, and she's in the left seat, and we're going to start up the airplane, and I walk her through because it was a fuel-injected airplane. Um, walk her through the starting procedure, which was uh, was my first clue that this was going to be exciting, and <laughs> to say the least we, <laughs> And we start the engine. And we start rolling forward. And it just it it just so happens in this particular airplane, most most airplanes have rudder pedals on both sides, which this plane did. However, on the right side where I was seated as the instructor, there was rudder pedals, but there were no brakes. There was there was no tow brakes. Right. It was just a, a thin bar of rudder. And we're rolling forward and she can't she cannot find the brakes. She
0: cannot find the tow brakes. Apparently the parking brake did not work, but, which you know, toe brakes every aircraft. Whether you have only on one in side the or they're in, they're so the rudder pedals are multifunctional. For those of you that don't don't uh, don't fly regularly in a GA aircraft or or even <laughs> airline aircraft, no different. You have toe brakes, meaning the pedals go left and right, move left and right, right, or you push forward on the left pedal, push forward on the right pedal, and sure. they're they're linked. Okay, now the brakes, you you move your toes forward push forward on the pedals and they tilt forward and that's brakes on an airplane you brake with your toe brakes
1: and you have a left brake on that left pedal so you can actually get differential braking as
0: so, well yeah you can break left side right side and make really sharp turns now no matter what airplane if her very first flight first you know hour one is one thing is, okay that's that's one thing but even then that airplane had toe brakes and, and probably the in both same sides.
1: spot. And I made that assumption that like it, who would have thought that I would have had to go over the position of of the brakes on an aircraft. But so we start rolling forward and I have no brakes. And so I do, you know, OK, things are now going sideways. We are now taxiing into a hangar. Now, fortunately, we probably oh, had shit. about <laughs> we probably had about f- about 100 feet, I would guess. So it wasn't okay. exactly close. But y- things are bad. And uh, what what am I going to do? And so I I pulled the mixture. And so the mixture is basically a, a gas cutoff, a fuel cutoff. Um, and so I pull this in which the engine then died and we stopped rolling. Oh, my God. <laughs> Meanwhile, we look. <laughs> my heart's going pretty fast at this point because I can't believe that just that, that, that this just happened. And I look up and there's some maintenance guys over by the hangar that, again, they're still 100 feet away or so. But you can see them pointing and laughing at us <laughs> of which i'm a little bit embarrassed probably, at probably this point. hear you
0: yelling breaks breaks breaks
1: <laughs> so there we were all right oh, let's let's try this again so we started this again and the exact same thing happens she still cannot find the brakes even though after we've now um covered this And I, again, shut the mixture off and okay, it's time for it's time for plan B at this point, because obviously at this point, this is not going to work the way that we thought that we thought it should. And to get her back up in the airplane, we decided here's what we'll do is that I will go sit in the left seat and she'll sit in the right seat and and I'll just take you up. I will fly the airplane. You can just sit there and relax. Maybe I'll give you the controls later on. But let's let's just go for a flight and and calm you down. Um, cause obviously this was fairly yeah. traumatic when you are pointed at a hangar and you can't figure out how to stop the airplane. Yeah. Um, so give her, give her the experience. Of the, her, yeah. Right. Just to, uh, let's, let's try and make this a, a good experience. Yeah. And so we get out, both of us get out of the airplane. Um, the Piper actually only gets out on one side of the aircraft. It's not like a Cessna where you each have your own door. That's the right side. On the right side. Yeah, correct. You, and yeah. then you climb down the, climb down the wing. So we both get out of the airplane. And then we both get back in the airplane. I get in first this time to go sit in the left seat where I can find the brake pedals, which did work, by the way. Um, and I start up the airplane and we go taxiing out and we're just going to go on a leisurely flight. And we take off and we stay under the Bravo and we're going to go to another towered airport. Yeah. And we're going to just do a landing and then we're going to do a full stop landing. We're going to taxi back and, and basically fly back. Which was all going just fine. Until I contacted the tower, and as I was contacting the tower and and keying the mic, I kind of noticed things were not quite right, and then the screen started to flicker as well. Now, this airplane, this particular airplane, most Pipers, or maybe almost every Piper, but this particular Piper had a glass cockpit in it.
0: Versus a six-pack. Versus a conventional
1: six-pack. Yeah, the dials and... Which means that this this is a it's a TV screen for all intents and purposes, which is electrically powered. Yes. So we're flying along the radios doing some funny things. I couldn't really put my finger on it at the time. And then these these TV screens or this glass cockpit that have all the engine instruments start flickering. You know, they're kind of going on and off. Well, this is kind of this is kind of odd. But we're now I have now contacted the tower. I actually got clearance to land from the tower and as i went to go key the mic it didn't key the mic did not work
0: so they told you you know uh, we Mike got you're a clear to
1: land and we you went the clear to, to land runway 24 and i went to key the mic to confirm that i i had received and acknowledged that i had gotten the the clearance to land sure. and i i it, the mic would not transmit and in a glass po- cockpit you can actually see a tx next to it to to show so you don't hear it in the headset you don't see it on on the panel and then the airplane went dark. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> so now Oops. I've received clearance to land. I was probably on about a three-mile final. And I now have no engine instruments. I have no radio. I have no anything.
0: But well, the engines are running because they have the magnetos that are generating Correct. power it's, for the spark plugs and the ignition and all that stuff. It's so.
1: independent of the of the battery and the the rest of the electrical the avionics, system. Yeah. So there, there I am. And we're going to just go land as normal. I had had technically received my clearance to land, even if I had not read it back. And then I don't even know how it came to me. But in the debacle on the ground from this break process, I all of a sudden had this thought that while most airplanes, um, GA airplanes, small GA airplanes have a rocker switch for the battery master, which is actually a two part switch. And one side is the battery master and one is the switch for the alternator, Uh except when they had redone this particular airplane with the glass cockpit, they had two separate and independent switches for the battery and the alternator. And all of a sudden it hit me that after this mess on the ground, I had turned the battery switch on. But as a turbine, dumb turbine pilot who is used to generators, I had failed to turn the alternator on, which means that basically you, I was running the entire airplane off of the battery and there was no alternator to charge the battery. So you're, and I you're had,
0: pulling charge but not giving
1: it. And I had killed the battery yeah. with my glass cockpit and all these electronic instruments. And as soon as I hit the alternator, everything came back on immediately. We landed the airplane. I, re- I read back to the tower. I said, hey, um, yeah, we had a, a problem with the radio and uh, I did get the, rec- the the clearance to land and everything's fine. Yeah. And we landed without incident and then we taxied back and my poor student is white as a ghost. I then find <laughs> out on the ground that, again, only one door in this airplane I, found, I find out that she has not actually gotten the door completely locked. The door was closed and it was latched and you couldn't push it open. But there was a big gap at the top of the door, which I kind of wonder. It seemed a little loud in there. Yeah. So the door is not actually closed. Come to find out that the latch needed some work on it. But we still got to get the plane back. My poor student was... She was about ready to quit. Oh, no. And in the end... <laughs> I, it, as the as the instructor, those things are, are or in this case my responsibility. And I well, this is a, a short story about how, I guess going back from a, a turbine powered airplane to a piston powered airplane and the responsibilities that come with um, even flying a a, a little hyper arrow um, yeah. with with a student who might not be quite up to speed.
0: Right. <laughs> I mean, you know the. I can remember when I was starting out as a flight instructor and my wife looked at me and said, all right, we got a baby on the way. You're going to be flying students around in piston-powered airplanes (laughs) in practice areas doing maneuvers, and you're going to be doing one of the most dangerous jobs, second only to... Alaskan ice fisherman or whatever, <laughs> you're getting life insurance. And she goes, and your policy better be. Smart paid. choice. And so I was like, oh, you know, come on, you know, you really? Do I need life insurance. Said, yes, you are not allowed to do a single flight as an instructor until you show me you have life insurance because I'll be damned if you're going to go up there with a student who's you know basically trying to kill you. And I was like, oh, okay, fine. So I ended up getting life insurance. And to this day, I still have it. <laughs> And, and sure enough, you know, I did a little bit of homework on it and realized that GA flight instructor jobs are the second most dangerous job. I thought for sure, police officer, narcotics agent. I mean, all this. Nope. GA flight instructor. Why? Because everybody's trying to kill you.
1: Yeah, there's because A, everyone's trying to kill you. The airplane's trying to kill you. The students are trying to kill you. And you do this all at an altitude of, of what? you. Th- when you think that 5,000 feet is way up there in
0: the sky. Yeah. And it's, and, you and know, it's, it's nothing. It's nothing <laughs> it's, <laughs> that can go away real quick.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Which is probably why, you know, that life insurance for a pilot is also, you pay a premium for that as well. For Absolutely. Those, for those reasons. And
0: then when I, when I no longer was flight instructing, cause I was working for a regional airline. And for my particular case, Uh, I was a new hire at a new job at a regional airline at the same time that I was supposed to be renewing my flight instructor certificate. And the way you can do it is you can go online and pay money for a course and you do this course online. And at the end of it, if you pass everything, congratulations, you have another two years of flight instructor uh, certificate that it's valid for. And here I was starting a new school, learning a new aircraft, a jet, and yeah, I was like, oh, I don't know how I'm going to do all this. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to take away from my experience at my my airline. And my wife looked at me and said, "Are you ever going to fly and start again?" I said, "Well, not if I don't have to." I mean, I, mean, I enjoyed it. I absolutely loved it. I, sure, you know, I still talk to some of my students uh, uh, and have conversations with them and and follow their journey. And and I absolutely was a great time in my my career however uh, no i i don't want to be in a small airplane if i don't have to be and thank you very much because although it was fun i've been there done that I'm, i'm moving forward she was like well then just let it go i was like well you know how many thousands of dollars those flight instructor ratings cost us i mean that's money that she's like but you can always get them back right and it's not going to cost you those same thousands. Well, no, I could probably go and do some studying and get an endorsement. You know, once you're within an airline and you're captain somewhere, you pretty much can go up and just maybe get 10, 15 hours in a GA airplane. Still and still got to take the check ride. Well, you go take the check ride with, you know, somebody that knows your fly for a main line. And, carry, and it's kind of an unspoken thing. Well, as long as you you know how to teach and you've got the all the lesson plans down, you got a, a source of lesson plans and you can go through that. Then fine, you're great, and so I just I let it go, and and you know what, I uh, I don't think I'll do it again. <laughs> did you let it go? I let it go. I let it go, what, fifteen years ago.
1: Oh, I just renewed mine in October.
0: Did you? I did. And you, did you how did you do that? Did, through the American Flyers, or
1: yeah, I have the American Flyers flight instructor renewal for life that I yeah. paid for back at the same time. You know when we were instructing, and yeah. I decided that, um. Well, it's the same thing that you just said, except I decided that in order to not have to jump through those hoops, although I'm completely with you, is that if I do not have to ever do that again, I yes, please, yeah. I I I won't. <laughs> um, but it's it's not it's it's a lot easier to renew it. Um, it's not that hard of a process. The hardest part is that you have to make an appointment. I make I choose to make an appointment with the feds, and I go down to the FISDA, so I have to go visit them every other year. Yeah.
0: Um, so you do the course online and but then... I, it's a hundred percent
1: online. I paid once it's a, it's a lifetime course. Huh. And, and I, so I have my flight instructor certificate that is still active and, um, oh, and also a little bit different than what you would necessarily think about. It's also a little bit of an added benefit for me for what I do in the, in the corporate side, because there are jobs that are out there for private owners who sometimes actually one of the requirements is that. Or a preference, at least, is that they have a a valid CFI. flight instructor, a, yeah. a valid flight instructor certificate, sure. and so it kind of bolsters the resume a little bit.
0: But, oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we've given it about an hour of GA and emergency procedures, and you know, we've kind of run the gamut of what it's like to be on this side, on the instructor side. Those experiences with emergencies, we've talked a little bit about emergencies when you're in the bubble of a uh, legacy carrier or regional carrier or even a corporate world, and how that differs in the corporate world where it's a little bit more you're an independent thinker, I mean you're responsible for so much more than just flying the plane and writing a checklist you're 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 doing a lot you're you're taking care of everything from making sure it's fresh ice on the aircraft uh, for your clients to uh cleaning the airplane to doing the flight plans and checking the weather and and do you even call 1-800-WEATHER-BRIEF anymore? Or what? How do you check the weather?
1: Have you ever heard of FlightPlan.com? No. Oh, great program. FlightPlan.com will pretty much do anything and everything that you want. Um, Files your flight plans for you. It'll give you weather briefs. Um, If you go with um some of the premium plans, not not that I work for FlightPlan.com at all, but um great program. It'll actually do your EAPIS. You can do EAPIS through it on uh-huh. the premium program for customs. Um, but that's where we pretty much do almost everything yeah. is through that program.
0: And do you get that real time in the in the airplane too with an EFB or is it only on the ground?
1: We if you have an internet connection, um, there's there's an app. So there's a couple different ways you can go go through it. We do everything or I'll do everything on the ground with a Wi Fi connection. If you've got Wi Fi in the airplane, um, which we actually do. Um, we can. You can. It's got full functionality, so you can update and re- refile. You could live. update. Actually, just last week, um, we were flying to a state, and I hadn't really thought. I hadn't thought about it ahead of time, and I didn't have current plates oh. for Nevada. I was going to Vegas, Ooh. and yeah. I was on the airplane, and I updated and downloaded downloaded the plates for, um, for Vegas right there from the airplane while in route. That's great. Yep. But there's also an app. That that you can use on. because I have an iPad. I've got the the app on the iPad and you can download all your plates and it's available offline. It basically will act as a EFB and electronic flight nice. bag for you. It'll do performance for all the airplanes. So it gives you act pretty accurate times, the fuel numbers, and you can change all of it as well. Uh-huh. Um, if you want to do trend monitoring for your airplane, you'll get fuel numbers that are spot on flight times that are spot on. Oh, wow. It's very little thinking on our part
0: now. Yeah. So, hey, more like what the airline was like, I guess. <laughs> very
1: much, except we just we just have to do it ourselves, which, I mean, I can go and I can file a flight plan in 20 seconds. Nice. And so it, it works really no well.
0: No more facsimiles with the surface nope. analysis charts. And no more 1-800-WX briefs. Yeah, and talk to a, a real... Uh, meteorologist will tell you, well, you know, over in the south of your flight plan, there you do show a low pressure system that, you know, you're like, oh God, can you please pick it up? <laughs> Those days, oh, f- by the way, for millennials, a facsimile is a transmission of data or a page of information that you transmit through a fax machine via a phone line. Yes, <laughs> and it's a digital transmission, real high tech. Yeah, a little bit before your time, I guess. <laughs> I was flying with the pilot the other day and uh and, well, the other day, years ago. And, you know, young FO shows up in his twenties. Which great. Had all the all the stuff he needed, you know, his EFB knew how to do all this stuff. And I said, Well, you know, remember back in the day when we had, you know, paper jeppisons and we had to, you know, come in like thirty minutes before your showtime and make sure you got the current plates and he's like, What? He had never done paper Jepp revisions? Never. And he was an airline pilot. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Maybe I am. I was old. like, wait a minute. You don't you don't ever. Do? He goes, I've never done paper Jeppesons, but what's I always had my electronic. I had four flight. I was like, oh, you did all your aviation from GA from day one using four flight electronic? electronic. He goes, yeah. I'm like, how many years ago were you in GA? He was like, oh, three years ago. I'm like, and you're flying for an airline. Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, that's, that's a whole other track. topic that's about how track. those because I need some. I knew a guy that was associated with Embry Riddle, and apparently those guys go in there now, and all their stuff is glass cockpit. Either one seventy two thousands, yeah, yeah, they're G one thousand. You go, you go all the way up to the airline, doing the airline route, and you've yeah. never seen a steam gauge in your life. Yeah, and actually, I, I remember mind. having
0: a conversation with uh, a de that we had uh, at the flight school before I left, and they were talking about getting a some kind of supplemental rating where if you got instrument rated on glass cockpit that you, and you couldn't fly steam gauges instrument IFR until you got the supplement to prove that you could actually get a scan going. Cause they were going from all glass all the time. And then they go, a, I got a, I got an airplane over here. You want to fly it? IFR? Sure. They get in their steam gauges and they have no idea how to do a scan. As dumb as that sounds, that is probably a, a r- safe and, Great idea. I mean, eventually I could see a time where you would need to be typed in an airplane G A airplane that had these antique steam gauges because yeah. everything will eventually be glass, uh a bombardment of information. Um, but yeah, I think the basic skills are absolutely something that you should have at least ten to fifteen hours minimum yeah under the hood or or in IMC conditions developing a scan before you go to the luxury of
1: a glass. It's outfit. it's amazing how much you know. You've been flying glass for a while. Also, they present it to you, and and what a six by six by six area. Right. Yeah. And now all of a sudden, where you've got six different instruments, and it is a completely. Just a, as a side note, I rem- when I did my Falcon 50 type rating, I probably shouldn't even admit this. So I did my my 50 type rating, and then when we flew the airplane, and the, the simulator where we took the type rating had a, um, a a combined attitude indicator and airspeed indicator. Okay. And the actual airplane, it was a standard six pack, ah. which means that the airspeed indicator was a separate instrument. And the first time I flew that airplane, we had we were in the air and probably at fifteen hundred feet before I had even recognized or realized that I had never even looked at the airspeed indicator because I didn't realize that it wasn't on it wasn't where it was supposed to be. It wasn't where it was yeah. supposed to be with the, with the simulator training that I had sure. done, transitioning from the simulator to the actual aircraft. Wow. I was like, holy crap. I've literally, I've just taken off in a three engine jet. I'm doing 220 knots. And this was the first time I'd ever actually even realized that it wasn't <laughs> where I thought it was.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And these are the little get gotchas, the little, the little nuances of this career. It's so technical and so mundane little details that will get you. Absolutely will get in you. In a hurry. Yeah. Well, hey, you know, Roger, I just gotta say thank you so much for coming down to the studio and spending some time with me. I really enjoy it and look forward to having these conversations again in the future. Um so if you're listening to the Squawk Eye Dent and you would like to send us some feedback, comments critiques or anything in regards to any of the topics that we discussed or you would like to hear some topics that we did not discuss feel free to send us a line by visiting either www.aviatortony.com that's alpha victor the number eight r romeo tango oscar november yankee dot com and from there uh, you can see uh, episode audio files that'll take you right to the anchor a website or app and you can also see the unique cover art that i do my best to create for every episode also from there you can send us feedback and make contributions to the website again this is aviator tony on behalf of captain roger i'd like to thank you for listening to squaw guy dent and remember keep the dirty side down take care of yourself and take care of each other